ESPN 1420, ESPN1420.com, and the ESPN 1420 app. Welcome back into the Great Scott Show, sponsored by Suit Up. And joining me now, as promised, you've heard him on with Norman Locke, and um, he is at Sports Law Lust on Twitter, your friendly neighborhood sports lawyer. You've heard him on other outlets as well, ESPN, CBS, Fox Sports, Dan Lust out of New York City, who has spent time working in the PR department for the New York Giants, now is a, an attorney in New York City and knows a lot about the law, particularly when it comes to the world of sports. And we got a number of things to discuss here this morning. First off, sorry for the long intro, Dan. I just want to make sure I got it all in there. Good morning. How are you? I'm good. Appreciate the intro. Uh, and, yeah, I always, always love coming up with Norm. I'm happy, uh, happy I get to speak to you today. You know, I... I have to ask you about Bob Baffert. I know you've been writing about it, tweeting about it, but for those that are listening that aren't in the know when it comes to horse racing, um, how big of a figure is Bob in that sport, in that world? Yeah, Bob, Bob Baffert, I think the easiest way to explain this, um, after he had won the Kentucky Derby for a record seventh time with Medina Spirit a couple weeks back, People were saying that when he retires, he will go down as the greatest horse racing trainer, uh, the horse racing trainer in history. Um, so that gives you some indication, right? These, these goat conversations we have. It was the undisputed, uh, you know, Bob Baffert was the undisputed king. Call him LeBron James, whoever you want to call him. Um, now uh, we'll say about two weeks later, you went from a conversation maybe like LeBron James, Tom Brady. And now you're talking about a conversation with Barry Bonds and Lance Armstrong. It's a very different conversation. Bob Baffert, uh, his horses, obviously they have a great track record. But in the last year, the last 365 days, Baffert's horses have been hit five times with medication violations. Um, and some very big races, some very big horses. So as we stand today, Bob Baffert is banned from racing at Churchill Downs. That's the Kentucky Derby racetrack. Uh, it doesn't get bigger than that. When the Kentucky Derby bans you, uh, they're seeing something here. So obviously there's still an investigation going on, but uh, yeah, Bob Baffert is, we'll say, at one point was the king of the sport. We'll see what happens from here. You know, as someone that doesn't follow horse racing closely, I I tend to watch the Kentucky Derby, and then if a horse wins, I'll watch, you know, the Belmont, the Preakness, just to see if they can get to that triple crown. And then once that doesn't happen, I kind of just, you know, I'll see you again next year for the Derby, right? But... Having said that, I always knew who Bob Baffert was. I recognized him. I saw him speak. And and there's a lot. Look, there is a big horse racing community down here in South Louisiana. There's a lot of jockeys. There's a lot of uh, there's some Kentucky Derby winning jockeys that have raced here. Uh, Jake Delome, who played college football at UL and then in the NFL, you know he he races horses. I mean, it's it, there's a big culture down here. So a lot of folks listening follow horse racing pretty closely. For those that don't, again, one more question. Prior to the last year, and you mentioned all the issues Baffert has had with some of his horses, prior to the last year, was there ever a, a shadow or, or you know, kind of a seedy reputation that surrounded this guy, or was he looked at in a pretty positive light prior to the last year? I mean, I think uh, dating back at least three, four years, he's had these issues come up, but it's not like baseball where one steroid offense will kind of get you on that list forever. It happens in horse racing. And, and even, even today, the news coming out is that, um, that this was ointment that was contained in like uh, antifungal cream. So it's not necessarily going to be like a, the, the version of sports we view as steroids. It's kind of an anti-inflammatory. So did it help the horse win the race? 
you know, I, I think it remains to be seen. But this is this past year isn't the first time for Baffert, but five times in a in a year period is a little alarming. Um, but I, I will say, is you know, my my horse racing fandom is is pretty close to yours. I bet on all the big races. I grew up near a harness track when I grew up, so you know, I, I tend to dabble in horse racing. Um, but I, I, you know, for anyone that that follows this. Bob Baffert, uh, if you kind of looked at this race, his horse was, I think, a 15-to-1 dog, or maybe it was 8-to-1, between 8 and 15 when it came off. And people said, hey, Baffert always wins these races, so even though the horse might have uh, kind of long shot, I'd go with Baffert. So yeah, Baffert seems to have the Midas touch when it comes to racing, and uh, you know this narrative seems to make a little more sense now. ESPN1420.com. It's the great Scott Show. I'm Scott Prather. We're visiting with Dan Luss, sports lawyer and legal analyst here, uh, about Bob Baffert and Churchill Downs banning him. Um, Baffert is a wealthy guy, Dan. Uh, obviously, he probably has some, I would, I would assume, some good lawyers, but he has been the one on the PR campaign over the last, you know, four or five days saying, Everything from, um, you know, uh, a groomer that, you know, tends to the barn and the horse uh, at the stable, rather. He peed on the hay and he was taking cough medicine to cancel culture to uh, it was the ointment, as you referenced. What what kind of legal advice do you think Baffert's getting? And do you think he's won anything in the court of public opinion or has he only made things worse for himself in your mind? So you, you mentioned at the top, I do have a background in PR with the Giants. So what you kind of know is sometimes, uh, like, less is more, right? The less you say, the less people in the media, like yourself and, and, and myself, there's less we can say. Bob Baffert opened up his comments yesterday on Monday saying, uh, you know, Monday, I, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, uh, but basically here's my conspiracy theory because right. I didn't, you know, the horse didn't get this drug. So here's what could have happened. He starts telling stories about, you know, urinating on hay and now – now, you know, um, he, he's at least being honest now. Hey, actually, the horse did get this. And it wasn't just on a one-time deal. He was given the ointment once a day leading up to the race, so multiple occasions. So Baffert was not best served going out and giving these public statements before his team had conducted his full investigation. He did a full media tour. He went on a Dan Patrick show. He went all over the place. And I, I don't know who was advising him to do that because it made him look even worse, and it made the story continue now for another fourth and fifth day. We'll see if he even gets to race uh, his horse, Medina Spirit, in the Preakness. Um, and maybe we just won't have anyone challenging for the Triple Crown this year. When you say Baffert is, uh, or rather when he gets banned from, say, Churchill Downs, what does that mean for his horse, uh, his team, and the rest of the races around the country? Is there any any other bans? Like, how does how does that work in the world of horse racing? So he's banned pending the uh, investigation. I think it takes six to eight weeks for the second blood test to come back. But he's temp- temporarily banned from Churchill Downs, and that sends a very big message, right? Why is someone getting banned? Because uh, there's questions about the integrity of the race. So um, as of today, Bob Baffert is not uh, with his horse, Medina Spirit, who is actually at the Preakness. They're going to be doing the drawing for uh, the post. That's you know what number the horse is going to line up in. Baffert's not there. Um, Baffert's, you know, I'm sure if he retires today, he'd be fine. But, you know, his horses are going to come with a, a little bit of a stench to them. And there's no point of, at least for Baffert's sake, right, reigning and, uh, you know, racing and training these horses if he can't have them in races. So it has very big ramifications. If, if the Kentucky Derby doesn't reverse their stance on Baffert, uh, you know, I, I'm not sure how Baffert's going to continue to go in the sport as he's done. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's definitely a
And horse racers are taking a couple hits recently, but this is a guy at the top, so it's as big of a hit as it could be taken. Dan Lust, our guest, a sports lawyer and legal analyst here. It's the Great Scott Show. I'm Scott Prather, show sponsored by Suit Up. Um, last question on this: How do you think ultimately this this all shakes out when all is said and done for Baffert and the sport of horse racing? I know you you can't see the future, Dan, but as best as you could tell in your crystal ball. What do you think it will look like, say, three months from now? Yeah, so by that time, we're going to have the second uh, result or second blood test to come back. And that's going to tell you, um, and people are asking, hey, if Swiss cheated, why is he going to be declared the winner? If the second blood test comes back and indicates, you know, confirms the results of the first test, they're actually going to take away his win and give it to the horse that finished in second place, a horse by the name of Mandaloon. Um, that horse, if anyone's curious, is not racing uh, in Saturday's Preakness. So uh, if that occurs, we will have no no option to get a Triple Crown winner. Um, but if that happens, right, you have a Kentucky Derby winner that didn't win the race, they finished in second. It's going gonna, gonna to be a big mark on the sport. You're going to talk about it for years. There's going to be a very big asterisk next to this race, a horse that finished in second. Uh, and I hate to break it to betters of Mandaloon. I think he ran off at like a 25-to-1 uh, dog. Uh, you can't cash those winning tickets. The official winner of the race in the rec- in the, bo- in the betting books is going to remain Medina Spirit, though in the record books it's going to be Mandaloon, uh, assuming that does occur. ESPN 1420. Uh, with that being said, Dan, I have a, a question for you before we ask you about Deshaun Watson. You mentioned earlier in your time doing PR with the Giants, you said you know sometimes less is more, and that probably would have been the case here with Baffert had he not gone on the media tour that he did. What's an example of uh, something in sports, whether it be a scandal, a case, whatever it might be, where you feel like, okay, the PR team did a good job there. That could have been much worse, but they handled it properly. Is there an example in mind where that went well? You know, it's, it's funny. Uh, I'll tell you just from my, my experience. There is a number of cases that will never see the light of day because of people behind the scenes that know how to handle handle it appropriately. Um, and I know we'll, we'll probably speak about it too, but this Deshaun Watson case uh, basically mushroomed from one case to 20-plus cases. We'll see if that number continues to rise. Um, but it wasn't maybe handled as delicately as it should have been in the initial instance, and then it, it kind of mushroomed. So um, PR behind the scenes is just making sure the public brand of a, of a company or even an individual athlete is not harmed. So before it gets to the public, right, there has to be some management that's done. So, yeah, I mean, uh, I wouldn't go out and, and give a statement, uh, you know, uh, prior to knowing all the facts in a particular incident. Um, even something like when I was at the Giants, the Plexico Burris shooting incident uh, happened. I, you know, I was a low-level seasonal employee. I mean, I was in the room. I, I had the opportunity to meet Plexico Burris. But, you know, in a situation like that, less is more. You want to have really buttoned-up black-and-white statements where no one can pull anything from um, you know, probably a good example here, the Kentucky Derby gave a statement that, that uh, you know, with respect to Baffert, and he said these are very serious allegations. If they had said something like Bob Baffert cheated and is ruining the sport, there's a chance that they could get hit with a defamation lawsuit. So by maybe saying something that didn't necessarily turn out to be true, the test doesn't confirm that positive result. So, yeah, uh, you know, there's, there's no, sometimes there's a rush to give out these statements, but, um, you know, less is more in the initial instance because the public is kind of eating in and they're waiting on every word that you say. So you've got to be very careful with that. How much does market size and, I guess, team interest have an impact on it? Plexigo Burris, New York Market, New York Giants. If he does the same thing in Jacksonville, does it draw the headlines that it drew and all of the, 
I guess uh, some would say backlash, others would say hot takes, but sort of just that constant wheel spinning of takes surrounding Plexico during that time. So I'll give you a good example. I, I'm gonna, it's going to bother me. I don't remember the name, but Plexico, when he was, uh, at least as memory serves, when the incident occurred, I think it occurred in a parking lot. I think it was at Applebee's or something like that. But he, when he went to the hospital, he gave a, a name, a fake name. Uh, I'm not going to remember the name. It's, it's sure it was a good one, but um, he gave a fake name, and that was the tabloid. It said his name, you know, and it said this fake person's name. Um, you know, when you talk about market size, um, Scott, have you heard what happened with the Mets with the raccoon rat debacle? Yes, yes. You know, it's, sometimes maybe it's New York. It's coincidental. Uh-huh. But if you tell if you tell a crazy story about hey. Francisco Lindor and Jeff McNeil, hey, we didn't get into a fight. We actually were having a lively debate over whether we saw a rat run through the clubhouse or if it was a raccoon. That's a crazy story that's going to have play to it. So Bob Baffert's story, you and I, I mean, I I know it got a lot of publicity. Baffert's story about someone urinating on hay and then the horse eating the hay, that's a story. So you you got to avoid, you know, those type of statements if they're not true or if you can't verify them. So that's why the Lindor thing picked up recently. Uh, Plexico Burris, Michael Vick has a story like that uh, where he checked himself into a a testing facility under the name Ron Mexico. Those are the type of fodder that you do not need to give the public. Ron Mexico. Yeah, I think think the Plexico Burris name, Dan, if my memory serves me right, I think it was like Harris Smith, which is... Yeah, it was really bad. I remember that. (laughs) It was... You know, I, I'll say this: it's not as memorable as Ron Mexico. I mean, you because you Ron remembered Mexico's one great. and you didn't remember the other. Like no one's going to well, forget I've, Ron Mexico. I've seen Atlanta Falcons jersey with Mexico number seven on the back, which is our just fantastic. No joke, no doubt about it. ESPN fourteen twenty. All right, Dan Lust is with us here for a little bit longer. You you, you briefly mentioned uh, Deshaun Watson, so I don't want to say all quiet or anything like that, but the story has not been in the headlines. Uh, nearly as much as of late than it was in the news cycle for what felt like, I don't know, a good month straight. Um, is that, do you read into that as a good sign, a bad sign for him, or is it just kind of, uh, okay, there are times coming where it's going to be right back in the headlines, just not right now? Um, I view it as probably being a bad sign, uh, as crazy as that is. I mean, obviously, it's good that there's no more civil allegations coming forward. I think that's, that's a positive thing that the number has stopped. Um, but why bad? Um, you know, this is just my, my take on it. What has changed, right? One person has stopped speaking, and, and that's Tony Busby. Tony Busby is the attorney for the 20-some-odd victims that filed civil lawsuits. He's the one that's kind of driving the noise in this case. Um, you know, wh- why would he have stopped uh, going kind of with this, uh, you know, I'll call it a media circus, um, it's possible someone told him to stop, and that person uh, or, or persons uh, might be uh, the Harris County Police Department, uh, just so people are aware. And, and you know, I, the best way I explain it is the O.J. Simpson case, right? There's a civil case and a criminal case. The criminal case goes first because it's a, it's a higher burden. If you hear in law and order, right, beyond a reasonable doubt, that's trying to prove someone's guilt by like 90%, 95%. So it's a number that's very high. A civil case requires burden, uh, you know, to burden is called a preponderance of the evidence, which is just like 51%. So the way the law works, and it it does make a lot of sense, you want the case that's harder to win, the 95% one, to go first. So when it comes to Deshaun Watson and Tony Busby, if the criminal case occurs, if the police department is interested in taking this case and the DA's office is interested in taking the case, they don't want Tony Busby out here 
basically poisoning the waters, right? There's a lot of negative things people can say about Tony Busby. Um, you know, I, you know, I, I hear it both ways. He's doing a good job for his victims. He's, he's taking the case in a, in a, in a poor light. Um, but whichever way you want to spin it, uh, if the police department says, listen, Tony, hang, hang back a little bit. We want to investigate this. We need to stop speaking to the public. That would be one really logical explanation as to why Tony Busby has stopped speaking. And if the DA's office and police department are that interested in taking the case, um, it's not really good news for Deshaun Watson. So, you know, good news is the cases for Watson is the cases go away. There's 20 cases. The victims came forward with their names um, and very publicly. So I, I don't see this case going away anytime soon. And sometimes, right, you know, it's the calm before the storm. Uh, if the DA's office came forward and they pressed charges, uh, the suspension from the NFL is going to be imminent. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, it's not, not a good look for Deshaun Watson. So, yeah, uh, I, uh, you know, I, I know some people are thinking it's good that we have not heard news, but uh, yeah, I, I do not view that necessarily as a positive sign. Very interesting stuff, you know, and that's that's why I wanted to bring you on, like the, the law side of things that we wouldn't know or wouldn't pick up on or might not even think about. But uh, as a lawyer and, and a legal analyst yourself, you are you understand the game and uh, the game that's being played, not to make light of any of the accusations, but um, it's it's kind of this circle of the media, the lawyers, the player, the league, and the team. And it kind of goes round and around, and how each one uh, responds to each thing dictates what it's going to look like in the headlines. So that leads me to, I guess, my final round of questions, and that is the Houston Texans. Uh, the Texans were uh, easy to pile on for so many for various decisions and personnel decisions and front office decisions and coaching decisions and ownership decisions. When it came to the the Watson situation, it quickly changed from he doesn't want to play here to, okay, there's another issue and it's a legal one. Um, from a PR standpoint, how do you feel the Houston Texans, just specifically in, in the case of Deshaun Watson uh, and, and the situation regarding the, the civil suits and possible criminal, um, you know, the criminal investigation, if you will, how do you feel like the Texans have from a PR standpoint, responded to that? And what what's, I guess, the best standard procedure for a team that finds themselves in a situation like this? I think the, uh, the Texans, we could throw the NFL in as well. I think they've both, uh, you know, as good as they can do in the situation, they have done nothing to fuel the fire, right, uh, to fan the flame, any, anything like that. They've been very quiet on that front, but... Um, you know, just me as a sports fan, as a lawyer, um, you know, I think actions speak louder than words. What did the Texans do in, the, in this past NFL draft? They didn't have a pick in the first and second round, and they went ahead and drafted a quarterback in the third round. Um, so, you know, obviously people know the Texans struggled last year at 4-12. and 12. Quarterback was not their problem, and they went ahead and drafted uh, a quarterback with their first pick. So that signals to you a lot, and it should. It should signal that uh, they're coming in to try to replace Deshaun Watson. Uh, if you're a betting man and you're trying to figure out whether Watson's going to be on the field, Texans don't have to tell you a comment that they he's probably going to get suspended. They just reacted a quarterback, which should which should tell you a lot. I think um, you know uh, I think they've done a really you know a solid job of keeping things buttoned up. I know Tony Busby at one point said he was threatening to bring the Texans uh, into the case if they had any uh, prior indication of Watson's maybe propensities to do some of these uh, alleged acts. If he would bring them into the case for their failure to act. If he did that, you know, that would be a, uh, even, even just the allegation, a big stain on the organization. So I think Texans have been advised appropriately. Less is more, cooperate with law enforcement, but don't volunteer information for no reason. 
in terms of the sports side of things, is the you know you've said it a number of times. The phrase "less is more." Is that the route to go of the time, or are there situations where it's like come out swinging, come out hard? Yeah, I mean, let's let's even even for the Deshaun Watson case. I mean, on some sometimes it makes sense to come out swinging. Sometimes you have to respond. So Tony Busby came out swinging, and you could say whatever you want about Tony Busby. He brought a lot of attention to the case. You want to bring a lot of attention to a cause. You just got to be ready to back it up. Um, you know, another context that's uh, you know in the, in North Carolina with this this uh, Zion Williamson lawsuit not so long ago, the attorneys going after Zion Williamson made a lot of noise. They came out swinging. They just didn't have the juice to back it up. Um, but if you do, and you and you have the the you know the facts behind the case, and you have the evidence, um, you're going to bring a lot of attention to a case, a lot of media eyeballs, and you could draw and like what Tony Busby has probably done. Um, in the Deshaun Watson case, he's probably driven up the values of that case. There's some indication that there was a, an $150,000 settlement on the table to settle one of these cases. Um, if Deshaun Watson could you know, do it all over again and make this go away for $150,000, I imagine he would. Um, but yeah, when you bring a case into the limelight in public and you're creating kind of a media circus around a case, uh, you're going to probably, if you, if you feel uh, that the, you want these allegations to go away, you might pay a little bit more. Uh, to make it go away. And, I, and I'm sure in, in any of these cases, there's a private narrative, um, just like you saw in the Antonio Brown case, again, not so long ago, a private narrative, a private negotiation about settlement. And if uh, things kind of fall through, they say, hey, here's your last chance before we go public. Uh, and that's generally how these things go down. Uh, Dan, Dan is our guest right now, Dan Lust, the uh, sports lawyer, legal analyst here at ESPN 1420.com. I'm Scott Prather, great Scott Show, sponsored by Suit Up. You mentioned Zion, um, the civil case. Uh, it, it's had a lot of wrinkles. I've, I've kind of kept up with it, but it, it hasn't been in the headlines much. It'll occasionally pop up of an accusation because of a civil case saying there's evidence that suggests he – his stepdad may have received money from Adidas when he was, you know, not at Duke yet or was. Or it, it's There's a lot of different – it's hard to follow, I guess is my point. It's not as uh, easy to follow in the headlines. It's not in the headlines much. I also think there is an aspect in 2021 that might have been different 20 years ago where a lot of sports fans are like, okay, so even if he did get a little – a few thousand dollars – before he, you know, went to go play college ball, like how much money did he make so many other people? Like there, there's not like the public sentiment isn't shame on you anymore. It's man, that's not that's not a big deal. Like we don't care. We like him. So I I, I find the Zion legal case against him of interest one because he's very popular uh, around the league and very popular down here. I mean, he plays for the Pelicans, and two, just that it hasn't spun throughout the media the way that if you had told someone, say, five years, one of the most popular players in the NBA that played at Duke is going to get sued by someone that says they gave them money and he was going to sign with them and then he backed off, somebody probably would have said, oh, that's that's going to be a big story five years from now. And it, it really hasn't been. How much is that is just the law side of it versus how much of that is the, the PR side of it? It's a great question. Um, you know, as, as for that lawsuit, uh, the lead of that case, uh, that claim has been dismissed. And I think uh, Zion, uh, you know, I think Zion's, for the most part, won that case. We'll see if they file an appeal and they, and they question it. But, um, yeah, that's, that's probably why you haven't heard most of it. I think the, uh, the uh, prime marketing side is deciding whether they're going to file an appeal as to uh, this portion of the claim that was dismissed. 
Um, yeah, I'm, I'm with you, though. I posted, uh, you know, there was uh, evidence that was posted uh, in this college, uh, this, college conspiracy case. Um, I guess financial documents that Zion's uh, family uh, allegedly was paid like $5,900, and there was some uh, paper record of this, I guess. Um, I, I thought it was a big story, and then uh, Twitter, <laughs> Twitter will tell you. They go, no one cares. Uh, if you don't think athletes are being paid in college, you're crazy. And, you know, news is news, um, you know, so you gotta, you got to report it. You let the public deal with it as they see fit. I think, you know, what's happened, uh, probably not a coincidence as to why this is the reaction, uh, college athletes are on the verge of being paid with name, image, and likeness um, and, and all, all sorts of, uh, you know, compensation about to be heading towards the NCAA. So I think, hey, it's, it's almost like if someone, um, you know, in a state where uh, marijuana is legal, if you bring up someone's old, uh, you know, weed offense in that particular state, it's not that big of a deal anymore. So maybe it should be a big deal. I know the NCAA investigated it. Uh, I know Duke investigated it, which take that with a grain of salt because, you know, Duke's investigating themselves. But, um, yeah, no suspensions resulted from it. And I think at this point, right, what's done is done. What are you going to do to Zion? The NCAA doesn't have any control over him. And, and getting paid is not really illegal. It's illegal if the NCAA says it is, but... The NCAA conducted an investigation, and they came up with nothing. I, I don't expect the NCAA to, uh, you know, reverse their their prior decision based on this. Man, the 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 PR side of sports law and the public, and how much it's changed just in the last couple of years, and being in sports radio since I don't know early two thousands, seeing the things that fans react strongly to, and not so much anymore. The things they care about. It's just. It constantly evolves, and I imagine for you, part of that job is just keeping up with that evolution. But um, at the same time, you know, I I know that you're in tune with that kind of stuff, and really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, Dan Lust has been our guest. He has uh, got a history working in sports. He is an attorney in New York City, and uh, some great insight into Bob Baffert, the Deshaun Watson story, and a little bit on Zion Williamson as well. You can follow him on Twitter. It's at Sports Law Lust, uh, and he's got uh, your great follow, by the way, Dan. I laugh sometimes when I see some, <laughs> the gifts and other things come across the timeline, but also good insight and information in there as well. So I, I, I recommend folks go check it out. Taking the time, man. Anything else you'd like to plug before we let you go? Uh, no, uh, my pleasure. Love coming on uh, with you and Norm. Uh, my my podcast, Conduct Detrimental, um, with the top sports law podcast, and uh, we're going to dive deep into the Bob Baffert stuff. We had a we had a lot of fun these past couple weeks with some college sports stuff. The Tom Wilson fight over at hockey, um, but yeah, this is going to be a horse racing heavy week. So if you're interested in in the topics we covered today, we're going to dive a little bit deeper uh, on the podcast. Looking forward to it. You guys can subscribe to it. Conduct Detrimental, the Sports Law Podcast with Dan Lust and Dan Wallach. Appreciate it, man. All the best, and I'm sure we'll talk to you down the road. Thank you.